Hello everyone and welcome to our show. Today we discuss about SEO, intelligent SEO, how you can get results by using technology. I'm so excited to discuss this topic with Marian Sweeney. How are you? I'm well, thank you. And yourself, Anatoly? Yeah, for me it's a big pleasure to learn more about that because I like to change my approaches, methods. And I see uh, if you use something for a long time, you need to adapt and change it because SEO is adapting all the time, changing. So it's it's better to know what's going on. Uh, before we start, just tell me about your experience, background, and why you decided to share with us about intelligent SEO. Excellent. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for including me. Yeah. Uh, tell me about your experience. I will. But first, I'm going to turn off my video because uh, I think my internet at my end is a little unstable this morning. That's better. You were cutting out. For mm -hmm. me, in intelligent SEO is the landscape that we live in now. Uh, mm -hmm. And it is one where the search engines are employing methodologies that are not possible for us to reverse engineer because they are forward looking, not past looking. By that, I mean the search engines have developed intelligent um, information retrieval. They are using applications that we refer to as deep rank to study an enormous amount of data on our behavior that they then use to predict what we're going to want. So it's less about what pages are linking to what pages, and it's more about how people behave towards results and how the search engines want to present things that will encourage people to stay on their search results page or to exhibit behavior that they then can use and monetize. Mm -hmm. So for me, mm -hmm. if I had one wish for SEO, it would be that we would become more uh, greatly involved in the conversations about the development of artificial intelligence that are going on on Twitter between the computer scientists and about content strategy that is more than just optimizing the title the meta description and the headings, but is actually about the construction or architecture of the content on the page and about ensuring that content is focused on an entity or a topic and that it is also associated by links with topics or that type of content that's on the website. But really, mm -hmm. I want us all to learn more about AI and to stop mm -hmm. talking about indexing. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, do you think it's a good idea to use AI tools today for creating content? You know, I, I'm, it's really hard to say. Uh, my inclination is to say no. And part mm -hmm. of that reasoning is the computer science community that has developed these applications is at odds with themselves about how true AI-generated content represents the human condition, the human thinking, and what humans want. And part of the uh, reasoning behind that is, what does it mean to be intelligent? So you and I are human beings, and we occupy the world. And so we know what it is like to feel hot or to feel sad which is not even a, a condition, a chart, chartable or observable condition. It is an enormous effort to train an application to understand what that means. 
So if I'm looking for content or if I'm looking for answers about depression, it takes a lot to train an AI application to understand what depression is so that it can generate content that would be meaningful to someone who is looking for answers about depression. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, what do you think when Google uh, can tell that you don't need to use AI tools to create content because uh, AI tools are not ready to uh, compete with uh, copywriters, writers who can create manual content to research more. Uh, because most AI tools usually rewrite existing content. They don't provide any research. What do you think? Uh, how to adapt to these challenges and create high quality content by using AI tools? So I, I would not recommend using AI tools for SEO. I mm -hmm. think that AI has a very discrete purpose, and that purpose is the ability to ingest vast amounts of data and come to conclusions. But mm -hmm. those conclusions are, are governed or are um, directed by human intervention in the form of developers and programmers that are creating algorithms that tell the system how to process the data. And I understand these landscapes are complex, but we have to start somewhere. We have to start mm -hmm. somewhere. We have to stop looking at the tactics that have worked in the past and start looking at the tactics that may work now or mm -hmm. shift our thinking with customers into less about where you rank in search results because that's temporal and it changes by location or by individual. So when I use rankings, I use it as an opportunity to educate the client on where their authority is. If you're appearing mm -hmm. in the top five results, that means that Google sees you as an authority about whatever topic that query is focused on. And if you're within striking distance, it means that the search engine thinks you're about you're relevant, but it doesn't quite know. And so you might be able to amplify that signal with some light optimization or some content enhancement. But the, the, the battle raging in, within the computer science community is the quality of the data sets that those tools are using. So the AI tools that you talk about, GPT-3, uh, which is, I think, open AI, and BERT, which is Google's big language transformer. The view in the computer science community is that these tools are inherently flawed. So as SEOs, we have to be vigilant about their application within our space and also be aware of how they are influencing the organic traffic for our clients. Mm -hmm. Did that make any yeah. sense? Oh. Of course, of course, <laughs> it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, before the podcast, you mentioned that uh, Google is so kind to you. Uh, SEO is so kind to you. Can you tell why? Why? Uh, because uh, from my experience, uh, SEO loves uh, smart, innovative uh, specialists who can uh, change the game. Can you tell why uh, SEO is so kind for you? 
Well, I've always appreciated the tolerance for what has been an exceptional view. And even within my workplace, my view is exceptional, you know, mm -hmm. in the sense of I'm really not, I've never supported link acquisition. I've done it in my, in the past and it's extremely difficult. Uh, and in the end, I believe that that was a useful tool and it is, its usefulness has been diminished on the part of the search engines. I don't think Google needs links as much as it used to. Um, but the SEO community has always been welcoming of individuals from other disciplines coming in uh, and contributing in some meaningful way. And that was me. I didn't start out as an SEO. I started out as an information architect. And when I went back to school to get my graduate degree, uh, I took a class in information retrieval and I said, wait a minute. You mean search engines use the structure of a website to determine the quality of content? That just blew my mind. Like, mm -hmm. does anyone, does anyone in digital marketing know this? Like what at Microsoft, I was at Microsoft for eight years and we would have marketing teams that would create a directory that just had one page in it because they wanted the name in the URL. And I'm like, that makes no sense. And of course it didn't because the way information retrieval systems are set up, the further away you are from the homepage, the less relevant you must be. Mm -hmm. I, I, when I was doing presentations, I would say, you know, something that you put in the cabinet over your coffee maker is probably more important to you than something that you put in the attic over your garage. You probably use it more often. And that's the way yeah. it is with information retrieval systems. And it's the same with indexing. I know a lot of us are focused on indexing, but in actuality, that's something we have very little control over. And in point of fact, in today's world, I don't know what the index represents. So SEO was very um, accommodating to me to come in. And I initially started talking about the intersections of information architecture and SEO. And then I moved into user experience and SEO with Panda. Uh, mm -hmm. And that was the, uh, that's when I appeared uh, at SMX Advanced on the panel, representing mm -hmm. user experience. So mm -hmm. to me, this is where our opportunity lies, is if SEO and user experience and content strategy work together for client to advance client, what our clients want. Yeah, love it, love it. Uh, can you tell more about UX? Uh, how to analyze user experience? Uh, where webmasters need to pay more attention today to create this structure uh, that it's not hard to use for uh, users? And uh, yeah, how to interlink existing content uh, on the website? You know, it surprises me how few of my clients are tracking any sort of engagement metrics through either Google or uh, Adobe Analytics, whether it's what people scroll or, you know, how many screens or are they taking advantage of specific calls to action on the page? So that to me is the experience that it now comes into the site itself. And when I look at a site, I look at, as I said, the rank landscape. Uh, and then I look at the pages themselves. In, I want to say 2014, Google did some research where they found 
that two things that I use all the time. One is that visitors to your site give it anywhere from 70 to 150 milliseconds to decide whether or not they're going to stay. Mm-hmm. Milliseconds. Yeah. So if you have <laughs> a big, if you have a big picture of a couple holding hands watching a plane streak by on your homepage, I'm not quite sure what product that would represent, but you better have text over that image to ground what the person sees because they're they know what their query was when they land, and if they don't figure it out within 150 milliseconds, they're going to leave the site. And that does two things. One is it deprives you of a visit. But more importantly, it sends a signal to Google that you weren't relevant. Because if they go mm-hmm. back to the search results page, you weren't relevant. If they yeah. select another result, you weren't relevant. If they iterate their query, you weren't relevant. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's the idea for me behind UX is looking at how do users flow through the site If you're losing 50 to 60% of your visits on landing pages, you have a UX problem. If you present 15 calls to action, like learn more, read now, download this, you have a UX problem. Too many calls to action on the page. What am I supposed to do? I'm probably going to leave because I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, can you tell how to uh, analyze UX, I mean, like uh, to measure UX? Because, for example, uh, what we can do today, uh, go to Google Analytics, check out bounce rate, time on site, uh, uh, some other parameters. But it's not always uh, the right choice because, for example, if people uh, open one website page and uh, got all information, what they need, they can leave it. You know, it doesn't mean they uh, get back to the search engines. Yeah, they can just uh, get this information. And uh, I often see when webmasters think how to create long content without uh, with losing user experience because sometimes we don't need long content. Uh, can you tell how to analyze that uh, content that was created is fine, good, or uh, how we can ad- uh, improve a little bit this content? And uh, uh, what do you think about simplicity? I, uh, uh, let me tell why I'm asking about simple content, because I see when webmasters are trying to sell almost all their products in one page, on home page. But when I open apple.com, I can see I own the iPhone. That's it, you know, on one visible screen, iPhone, nothing else. Uh, if I scroll down, I can see MacBook or another iPhone, uh, and it's simple to use. But uh, for many other websites, they're trying to copy Amazon, you know, that <laughs> sells a billion products, you know. Probably it works for Amazon because people know about this content, they know they can find, and Amazon uses personalization uh, to share products that people want to buy because of their ex- shopping experience can you tell more about simplicity how to simplify content and satisfy ux i think it for me it's not so much the um content itself as it is the lack of intent and purpose behind the content Mm -hmm. and you're right you have people that are you know trying to sell to do everything at once on their homepage, as opposed to seeing it as in the metaphor, here's someone that's entering your store and 
they're looking around for what direction they're not looking for all of your products what they want is some sense of direction to start their journey to find what they want to look for it mm -hmm. amazes me the level of um disaster that i see with information architecture these days and i'm uh, when i finish this call i have to finish two assessments for sites that have the same issue and that is you have drop down menus that are disorganized that contain product sales information that's not what i'm using this navigation for what i'm using the navigation for is to find out where to like where to start to figure things out um, it, they are not mutually exclusive. So you have resources and you have technical support under resources, but then you might also have a support section where you have technical support. Where am I going to start looking for the specification documentation for your products or, you know, how, how, anyway, don't get me started. So the first thing is it's not the content, it's the site structure and it's how it's represented. And it's the marketing issues that go on behind what goes in the navigation. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And there have been a number of conference presentations at the IA conferences when we were dealing with IA and not with UX as much. Uh, so there's that issue in and of itself. Secondly, Google has made it clear from their, um, from their research that the above the fold real estate on a content page is the most valuable. Now, strangely enough, in information science and in information retrieval, it seems as though the search engines are still using what's called the newspaper model. And that is how we read newspapers. And, I, and I'm still a newspaper person. I like to hold a paper in my hand. And so what I do is I hold the paper in my hand and the first thing I'm looking at is the headings. Is there something in this heading that's of interest to me? So headings, be focused. I don't think Google cares anymore whether a heading is above or below 70 characters. The title they do, but not the headings. Mm -hmm. So I look at the headings and the first two paragraphs, which should represent the article as a whole. And then you get into the subsections, and each section has a heading that represents the section. And that's the newspaper model. Anything that appears in a heading, if it maps semantically to what follows, then that term, that term location, receives extra relevance credit. And this is, has been going on since online information retrieval started. That was, what, 60 years ago, 70 years ago. So search engines are a lot like cars. Remember when you saw the movie Blade Runner and we all thought that the future would be like floating cars? Well, here we are. We're not in floating cars. We have electric cars, but yeah. they're all still working with some form of internal combustion. And that's how information retrieval works. The foundation of all of these systems is very rudimentary. So where the nuances come in is now where how... Google is treating content. And we know from some of the great SEOs out there that are diving into Eat and Mum and all of those, that Google is now able to present an entire document as relevant because one passage in it 
answers the customer's question. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the well, content well. itself, decide what you want to be about, focus content on that, pursue the core content model, or as the SAOs call it, the hub and spoke model, where you have a navigation page that gets the customer to all of the content that is about this topic that's of interest to them. Nice. Use nice. your ranking landscape to know where your authority is and where you can get some quick wins with light optimization. They don't mm -hmm. care if it's 2,500 pages or 200, 200 words. If it answers the query, it's relevant and it'll be at the top of the results. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember when one of my clients wrote an article uh, around 3,000 words uh, with the main topic, uh, the age of Elon Musk. I told yeah. him, <laughs> I don't know why you need to create this article because Google replies to this question uh, in the search result. Just type age of Elon Musk and nobody needs to open any content because they got <laughs> his age and uh, users don't care about his biography, about uh, achievements, anything because they need to know his age, you know, so right. yeah. I, well, that. and it may be relevant to some people, and that's great, you know, if that's the idea. But, mm -hmm. but I find that chasing, uh, chasing rank instead of chasing visits, I find them to be two different things. Rank, I cannot control. Visits, mm -hmm. I can control by looking at, as you mentioned, the metrics that show me if people are even paying attention to what I'm laying out there. It's sort of like when you, you know, go to a restaurant or create a buffet, you can tell what the popular dishes are by the ones that are empty and the ones that are left behind. So if the ones that are left behind are important to you, then you need to do something to make them more tasty. And there are a lot of tactical, but also more consequential elements that you can do. But site search, God, Site search is such a trove of business intelligence for SEOs, for marketing people. Any, any query that they put in the search box on your website is probably the one that brought them to your site. So most of the search engines that are used on sites today will issue reporting and you will be able to see who exited from the search results page which is a clear example that for that query, your search applying failed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, got it. Uh, I have the question about keyword research tool. Kaushik wanna know about that. Uh, by the way, it's a good question. Uh, can you tell more before creating content for, uh, for satisfying UX, uh, how to find the right keywords? Because with masters often chase so high volume keywords. For me, yeah. Mm -hmm. What I do is, um, and, and I have, encourage clients to do this as well, uh, I go to Google and I type in the keyword that the client is interested in. So I'm working with a, a gentleman who does um, uh, business consulting, uh, and his uh, one of the core topic areas he was interested in was leadership development, you know, business leadership development. So I went to Google and I typed in leadership development and then site colon and the uh, website, this uh, gentleman's business. 
Now, what that told me is these are all the pages on the site that Google felt had even approximate relevance to that topic. And there weren't, wasn't a lot there. So then tied in the keyword research and said, these are what people want to know about leadership development. They want to know about training programs. They want to know about, um, you know, how to, uh, you know, create a business culture, a leadership culture, uh, succession, all of that. That became the genesis of a content guide for the customer. So now I know what I need to write about or how I need to supplement the content that I have. Mm -hmm. yeah, so, yeah, content, well. so the keyword research, the queries that people are asking informs the content development that then answers the query and elevates the content in visibility. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about key popular keyword research tools like Ahrefs, SEMrush? Is it a good idea to use them or is it better to go to Google directly? No, I think they're all great because Google will tell me what's on what's what's within my client's domain that will that mm -hmm. possibly will work. Keyword research, those tools are great because they represent um they they represent intent behind the ultimate search. So I know a lot of my clients want to represent, you know, want to be relevant for the head terms. Like if you're, I was working with a cancer research hospital and they wanted to, they wanted to rank for cancer. And I'm like, no, you don't. First of all, the ability for you to rank for cancer is almost impossible. It's Mount Everest. Because the people who are ranking for cancer have been there for a long time, and um, they have the credibility, the authority, the expertise, and the trustworthiness. In addition to which, your audience is not going to convert on cancer. Yeah, it's going to exactly. convert on cancer research hospital, cancer treatment near me, uh, so those are the terms that you want to target and be realistic. Exactly. You know, so yeah. often people throw a bunch of keywords into a tool like SEMrush or BrightEdge or SEO Clarity or Conductor, and then they follow those terms religiously, like I can hardly wait until I rank for this. Well, you know, it's not like Christmas. Santa doesn't bring you page one rankings. You have to work for those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, love it. Yeah, I agree with that. It's the same if I rank uh, with the keyword SEO. Uh, in the first mm -hmm. stage, it's hard. It's really hard because most uh, Neil Patel, uh, Backlink, or IHRS, many other great content in the top 10 results. It's really hard to overcome them. In the second stage, uh, I can't sell SEO services by ranking uh, the keyword SEO because uh, this keyword is more related uh, about SEO. Uh, what does it mean uh, about uh, using some tools, uh, how uh, to provide this process, but it's not related to SEO services. Yeah, I agree with that about uh, cancer. Yeah, is great example. Uh, can you tell See, about... Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. It's just, it's. I just bring the focus back to UX. It's not about ranking, it's about conversion. Yeah, yeah. So in the end, 
you want to look for the terms that are going to bring the people to your website that are going to take advantage of the steps that you lay out, the journey that you present to ultimately do what you want them to do. So that to me is the beginning and the end. What is it that we want people to do? How do they reflect their interest in that within search engines? How can we create an experience that includes content and, and how the website works and how it looks and all of that? How can we do that to make it happen? Mm -hmm. To the end, what is the ultimate conversion? What are the steps, the what's called what I call micro conversions, up to the mm -hmm. ultimate and final conversion that makes you money? Mm -hmm. uh, can you tell about uh, how to analyze that uh, keywords are related to our buying journey? Uh, because you mentioned about cancer, uh, for example, uh, cancer uh, treatment, cancer near me or uh, cancer hospital uh, can uh, convert. Uh, can you tell how do I know that these keywords will convert? That's a that's an excellent question. Um, you know, I ha have used ranking landscapes and have tagged them by the customer journey, so mm -hmm. that I can say to the customer, you know, these. These are term phrases that represent uh, someone who is in the purchase stage. And they're, they're pretty easy. I mean, you know, I go through and I do a lookup for terms like buy, acquire, uh, you know, deal. Uh, I'm trying to think of others. Of course, I can't come up with it. Uh, or you look at the head terms like cancer. I'm, uh, disease, uh, specific types of cancer, that would be an awareness stage. So you can sort of look at your ranking landscape and from a human cognition point of view, tag as you understand them, what they mean. So for me, like I said, head terms are usually awareness. Like I know there's something called SEO, but I don't really understand it. I'm gonna plug that into a search engine and see what's revealed. Oh, now I see there's a bunch of stuff about links and content, and so now I'm going to do SEO content and figure that out. So in the end, what you see then is the interest stage. Like, huh, that's interesting to me, SEO content. Now I'm going to start elaborating on that. When you start looking at uh, phrases that include compare, or ratings or reviews, you get into the um, consideration phase. Now I've entered a more specific channel of my interest where I'm starting to look at how to facilitate, you know, if I need tools, if I need an agency or whatever. And then obviously the terms that are by or, um, you know, related to purchasing, pricing, I'm looking for pricing and such. And, and there's a fifth stage that is often can, uh, uh, included, and that would be the post-purchase stage. I once worked with a large equipment uh, manufacturing company, and one of their top consumer products was um, small generators, personal generators, if you lose your power. And I said to them, you know, in doing the research, there's about 60,000 searches a month for 
how to set up my generator. And I can't find that anywhere on your site. Like I can't, hmm. I didn't find it using the search box. I know it's there, but I can't find it. Yeah. So hmm. maybe that should be on every product page. Or, yeah, you know, made available to the client somehow because they've already bought your product and now they want to know how to use it. So it's looking at that. It's just taking a searcher point of view when you look at your ranking landscape and, and adding some context so that you can use the right tactics to solve that problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, awesome. Uh, you mentioned about uh, credibility. Can you tell how to improve this parameter EAT, Expertise, Authority, Trust for websites? And uh, is it important to do it? Well, you know, I think so. I mean, I uh, have become a big fan of the core content model as an example of looking at specific topic areas. And let me say again, I said it earlier week or last week, how much I miss Bill Slosky. Because he sort of mm -hmm. kept us on task about looking at entities and then forming content hubs around entities that enable people to explore that complete content landscape from wherever they enter. So I uh, developed a philosophy early on, and that was no dead ends, that every page should have a next step for the client a set of related links that will take them to either a, con a concept that is related to the page that they were on or to an additional piece of content that will take them into a different facet of that topic. And that's the benefit of looking at the hub and spoke model is that you then create complementary content that is directing traffic to one another. Within Google Analytics, if you go to a specific page under site content, you'll see a tab up there called navigation. And basically what that tells you is for the page that you're interested in, where did people come from and where did they go after? And that's a really important information in terms of associating content. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Uh, um, uh, I have the question about uh, how to learn SEO today. For example, if you started today from scratch without any experience, knowledge, skills, what will you do to learn more about SEO? You know, it's so hard. And we recently saw this on Twitter where there was a huge controversy between um, a young woman who had written a book on SEO that was then uh, rumored to have been... Um, uh, repurposed by some and sold by someone else. Uh, There's yeah, a lot of documentation out there. I know I was mm -hmm. very unhappy when I, when I read that. Um, I use Twitter as um, my educational resource for SEO, for computer science, AI, uh, for content strategy, for IA, all of it. And I'm very prescribed in, um, in who I follow on that. But SEO chat, it happens every Thursday. That's a great way to find the thought leadership that you need. I miss the SEM Rush chat because that was another one that was really great. But once you start participating in those, you'll find individuals in, that are um, 
uh, making statements and providing information, useful information, uh, that you can then start following them and then see whom they follow. And pretty soon you put together a suite of individuals. I mean, you've had many of them here, you know, uh, Jamie and the others that you've had on the show. Those are people that I start following and by their tweets and their um, engagement, I find other people that inspire me and educate me. And then through them, I find other people. Uh, mm -hmm. So that's definitely one way. And to go out of your you know, comfort zone and start following digital marketing or um, content strategists. Uh, Carrie Hain, very good content strategist, talking about dynamic content which is very, very big now with um, Google. There are some terrific technical SEOs out there, Simon Cox and others that um, Barry Adams, terrific, uh, that would give tremendous insight into um, the technical infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because yeah. that to me is where, you know, SEO in terms of the meat and potatoes, the traditional tactical SEO, to technical is where it's at. And Google announced a huge change to this week. I don't know if anyone else cares. I didn't see a lot about it. Mm -hmm. Where uh, they basically no longer encourage the um, static HTML workaround for dynamically rendered JavaScript content. Mm -hmm. It was pretty big. Mm -hmm. So, you, you know, my question, mm -hmm. and they don't answer it, is so how are you treating dynamically rendered content now that? 60% of the websites out there are JavaScript rendered. Mm -hmm. I, I usually check out validators uh, and yeah, uh, learn from them, you know, because <laughs> for me, right. uh, yeah, technical optimization is not my strong side, but I usually check out what validators can tell and just fix everything, <laughs> what they can. <laughs> sure. And I, and I would encourage you to get, you know, more involved in that because mm -hmm. that type of inter infrastructure, we see, I see that a lot uh, now in the sense of with page speed and everyone talking about page speed and page speed is influential. But when I load a page into Google Chrome and I check the dev tools and I find that on average, 70% of the JavaScript and CSS script on the page is not being used, but it's mm -hmm. still being loaded and executed. This, the crawler still has to process through that. I'm like, what's, you know, that has to change. And Google is going to make it increasingly harder until it does. And in another year, we can lose all of those third party tracking cookies because Chrome and uh, Firefox are going to join Safari and not passing through that data. So just take it off your site. Mm -hmm. Tell yeah. your clients, take it off your site sooner rather than later. Gather all the data that you can from all of those demand where all of those tracking cookies, get it all where you can set your personas. And then when it's, when they pull the plug on sharing the data, your pages should be loading faster and then you can concentrate on content. Love it. Love it. Marian. Uh, yeah. I, I love all your insights. It's a big pleasure to learn from you. Yeah. Uh, I'm 
so blessed you know to have you on my show you mentioned about bill slavsky yeah uh, i'm so lucky to speak with him uh one time yeah he shared a lot of valuable insights about keyword research yeah yeah uh, yeah it's 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 really hard you know about this loss i remember that because it's interesting that uh, we uh scheduled the second episode with bill slavsky and uh, be, uh and i've learned this news uh, about this loss yeah so hard and yeah yeah i know about olga zarechna that uh, about yes this thing you know very terrible i i dislike it because i know both guys you know uh, i i'm not judge i don't want to criticize it's hard. anyone yeah it's really hard but uh one thing i learned from gary v when someone asked him uh what to do if someone uh is stealing your content and he replied go ahead move on because uh yep. if someone can steal your content that means you are so good with creating this content create more because you are the first uh resource of this content uh others can be the second you know just move on forget about them create more content and uh, yeah uh, of course I, I dislike when someone can take my content but it's internet it's hard to control and we have a lot of uh, rewriting today you know yeah so i i hope uh, uh, people can uh, respect uh i don't know like uh, our properties but uh, it's life <laughs> just it's better to go ahead uh, but can you tell our audience how they can reach out to you learn more about you follow you yes please and um and thank you you know i uh, my mother was sicilian and she used to mm -hmm. tell me They'll get theirs and don't let it come from you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yes, I believe that. Let the universe decide uh, and move on. I think uh, both parties uh, mm -hmm. handled it very well. And uh, our Olga is moving on. And I think it actually may benefit more uh, as a result. And I, I wish her well. I'm looking forward to knowing more about her. You can uh, follow me on Twitter at msweeney, at, um, at msweeney is the Twitter feed. Uh, you can reach me directly at sweeney48, S-W-E-E-N-Y-4-8, at UW, as in University of Washington.edu. I teach a class in information retrieval there once a year. Uh, mm -hmm. and uh, it allows me to keep current on how search engines are operating now, uh, but also the uh, nuances that they are introducing. Uh, and I hope that everyone will um, that listens to the broadcast will find some time to start delving into uh, the AI part of information retrieval. Google mm -hmm. has doubled down, has spent an enormous amount of intellectual and financial capital uh, developing what they're calling neural information retrieval uh, and a learning to rank model that I believe uh, is with us now and will become stronger in how search engines represent our clients content mm -hmm. love it love it okay guys you can find all uh links to uh marian social media uh in the description below listen us on apple google spotify thanks again for your time a big pleasure welcome back anytime to share more valuable insights and thanks guys for listening and watching us